I think this is the first time we've podcasted from the same time zone. Is that fair? I think. Yeah, I think you are. I might have done one when I was out west, but this is, I think, the first time that we've ever been in the same time zone. Yeah, so hopefully that makes this a more uh, cohesive, uh, organized podcast as opposed to, well, I'm lying already because it took me five minutes to even uh, for us to even figure out what to talk about today. So that that's a that's complete load of crap actually but it is in the same time zone so maybe it'll be more cohesive i was about to say speaking of a load of crap but i feel like nobody wants to hear that story well aka why we started that aka well aka why we started about 10 minutes later today yeah keep those stories to yourself um <laughs> it's uh i'm I'm up in Traverse City. The uh, the Stars prospects are playing up here in a tournament, and uh, it's kind of the off day. It's the first Sunday of the NFL season, and feels like it's become a tradition to come up here and on Sunday to watch the uh, Cowboys and Giants play on Sunday night football during the off day of this tournament. Because I feel like Cowboys and Giants have played in the first night of for Sunday night game like past three or four seasons now, something like that. Am I am I wrong there? At least it uh, seems like that. My- don't my long-term recall isn't good enough and i truly don't pay enough attention to the nfl to really know that yeah well do you watch i mean we, we basically discussed it a little bit last week basically the only reason you still pay attention to the nfl is for your fantasy football team yes that is correct i that's i mean that was the same thing with kind of as it turns out what kept me into baseball too was uh if I have a reason to pay attention, I'll pay attention, but I'm not, like, I I didn't grow up around the watching NFL games on, I mean, I did, but I also, you know, you're growing up in Las Vegas, you're, you don't have as much of a, like, a local tie to a team, and my dad wasn't, I mean, we had the NFL package, and he watched it, because, I mean, you know, it's fun to watch, but we didn't, I didn't get a team from him or anything like that, and I never, like, I played a year of high school and when I say I played a year of high school football growing up, I mean, I was on the freshman high school football team and I stood on the sidelines for every single game because I sucked. So it's not like I had a a tie into that as well either. So I kind of need a reason to kind of keep me interested. And that happens to be doing fantasy football. I never played high school football. So I but I I sound I never played high school football. I've never put on I've never played football other than like flag football or something like that. But so that means I but I still have just as much high school football playing time as you did. Yeah, pretty much. I played I think cuz like when I played my freshman year, I played I'm sure some people in Texas have heard of Bishop Gorman because now it's one of the premier high school football mm-hmm. programs in America and even back at the time it was still pretty, it wasn't quite perennially competing for high school national titles, but it was pretty close. My freshman year was when DeMarco Murray was a senior, and there was a couple other guys, I think, on that team that ended up going D1. Um, but I was five foot six, 140 pounds, slow as hell, so they weren't going to put me at defensive back. But I was also too small to play linebacker, so they put me at linebacker because they felt like I'd be less of a liability there. And I got 
I just got crushed every single day in practice and it wasn't fun. And then after the season, my dad got me a personal trainer. He's like, you're going to get you to bulk up next year. And I'm like, okay, whatever. So I put on like 25 pounds of muscle and then I had surgery like the day before summer camp started to correct ingrown toenails. And I just never played football again. So I'm like, I don't need this in my life. A brief history of my football career. Always waiting for next. Always waiting for next year. Yeah, exactly. My, I mean, uh, I bet that my, the stars have conditioned me well. Stars, Notre Dame, they've just conditioned me to wait to next. Wait for next year. There's always next year. Yeah, it's uh. <laughs> Let's talk about hockey. Let's get in. Let's actually talk about hockey. Side of the Red Line, Dallas Stars Podcast. Here's your host, Sean Shapiro. So, as I said during our poor ramblings about time zones and Ryan's high school football career, we're in Traverse City. It's the day off of the prospect tournament up here in northern Michigan, and it's uh, it's been kind of nice to be back at the rink this week. The uh, to, we, I know I mentioned that before during informal skates that they were having down in Frisco, but. It's been nice to be up here to actually watch some games. It's the first games I've been able to cover and and, and pay close attention to since uh, Dallas ended its season uh, five months ago and the last game of the season against the Colorado Avalanche. And it's uh, it's always a fun tournament to watch. The results haven't been fun for Dallas so far. They lost the first game 7-2 to to Columbus, and then they lost, uh, yes, last night to uh, St. Louis 7-6, to where they actually had a 6-3 lead in the third period and then allowed three unanswered goals to uh, tie the game and then lost in overtime. Um, so not the most fun results, but it's been kind of nice to... We've gotten a way to gauge Stars' prospects, um, gauge Stars' prospects, and... And on top of that, up here is kind of a bit of a melting pot of the entire hockey world's all up here. There's scouts from all 30 NHL, 31 NHL teams. Uh, the GMs, the coaches are here, and uh, kind of get a nice like. Uh, talked to Ken Hitchcock yesterday. He called this kind of a shotgun start to the NHL season, where uh, you get to watch kind of the future of it. You see all of the um, a lot of older players who are now in management, things like that, all in, in one spot in this really small in this relatively tiny rink up in northern Michigan where the service is terrible for your phone so it's a it's a fun it's a fun tournament Ryan you should have made the drive I know I I kind of wish that I wasn't doing school right now because it's that would be fun to be up there but yeah it's and I get that you see some people bitching on Twitter about like oh my god people tweeting about prospect camp who gives a crap and blah 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 I'm like, okay yeah whatever it that's one train of thought but you know it's it is the start because you uh you come back after uh that's done on what it's done tomorrow tomorrow tuesday something like that you come back and then training camp is about a week away then so that we are officially now in two hockey season yeah, it's uh, they have uh, tomorrow they they play their last round robin game tomorrow and then Tuesday is the championship game, um, which will 
feature Columbus versus somebody, and Dallas will probably be in the fifth or seventh place game, depending on how they do on Monday. Um, it's uh, the stars. It's it's funny. You mentioned some people complaining about live tweeting uh, results from a prospect game, but then there's also the uh, there's also the flip side of it. There's a there's also overreaction to prospect results. I think that's even more funny. That that's even funnier than the people who are complaining that people are tweeting scores for prospects games. The people who are overreacting and uh, seeing some of the overreactions to the result of a prospect game between two teams where arguably neither of these kids will, none of the kids on either team will play in the NHL for. Yeah, you might have a couple, but as a whole, some half this roster won't play in the NHL for at least four or five, four or five years. Those overreactions have been fun to watch on Twitter, especially after the, uh, the stars kind of dialed up a game that would be peak, uh, in a bad way, peak Dallas stars from the history. They let up, uh, first goal of the game. St. Louis scored off of a turnover. It was one, nothing early. They blew a lead that they had in the third period and then they couldn't get the job done in overtime. So it was, uh, I'm not saying to draw the connection to it, but it was ironic in the way the uh, prospects uh, are already buying into the program. Right. That's hopefully the uh, they're getting all of the poopy defense out of the way uh, before the season even starts. But no, I get the I, to to some extent. I understand the overreaction because it's the first hockey that we've seen in forever, and there's a lot of talk about prospects in the off season with the draft and whatnot. So. You, your first kind of look, your your look at it, but I think it's important. To, I mean, you mentioned half these guys aren't going to play in the NHL for a couple of years. I mean, just looking at the line chart that you, the line charts you've been tweeting out, the guys that Dallas have on this team, there's probably only five to seven guys at best who are even going to play in the NHL on this team, and even fewer than that who you would expect to be impact players. Like if you look at their the 12 forwards they dressed yesterday, half these guys were either signed on AHL contracts or they were free agent invites. So these aren't guys that you're looking at as futures of the program whatsoever. They're just, they're kind of there to fill out a roster. And if someone impresses, then you give them an AHL contract. And like you look like a guy like you've, I know you've singled out Sheldon Drees a couple times. So like a guy like that, like if he comes in, he has a good tournament then maybe you give him an AHL contract and see what he does in Texas or in Idaho this year and then go from there. But it's all, if you get anything out of a guy like that, it's gravy. It's not something that you're expecting. Yeah, and it's uh, this this Dallas team, uh, this ro- this Dallas roster kind of lost its luster a little bit when uh, Miro Heiskanen was held out of the tournament um, because of the injury. Um, Heiskanen took a puck to the, took a stick to the face, uh, got some stitches in the mouth, um, and they just decided it wasn't worth having him come uh, come play in this tournament uh, when they could just have him heal up a couple more days. Um, and he it would have been interesting to see him in this tournament, especially I would have loved to see Heishkin in the and for example in a game like yesterday when they played St. Louis and the Blues roll out a lineup with Robert Thomas, Clem Costin, and Tage Thompson, um, three first round picks at forward. I would have liked to see how. Uh, Heishkin had kind of matched up against that. That would have been fun to see, but I understand uh, having caution and not rushing him back with injury. You want him to be fully healthy, actually, in training camp. Give him an extra four days, an extra week or so, and um, it will. So, kind of lost some luster there. And uh, frankly, 
what I've looked at from the two games so far is, and I kind of throw the results from these games away. If if a team wins, that's great. It's it, it's nice that, but you could have um, you, but you really need to look at more individuals and kind of see how guys look. Um, I think the more frustrating thing for me is the fact that from the Stars prospects from the first two days of the tournament is Sheldon Dries is a great story, or Dries, I'm not sure. I only call him Sheldon. I'm not sure because the announcers, the PA people I've used, his, have pronounced his name a couple different ways um, at, at the game. But uh, the more frustrating thing to me is the fact that I, and he's a good story, but it, keeps, it gets to the point where I keep signaling him out because Denis Gurionov is not, dominant like I'd like to see. Um, Jason Robertson has been pretty much invisible to me during the tournament. Um, and so that's just been kind of the more frustrating thing, where you've got guys who were supposed to be the guys who are leading this team, and the guys who were supposed to be the ones where we're, we'll see how, they do it, how they're doing, and they really haven't elevated their game to, haven't elevated their game and looked like, we would say, oh yeah, that guy was definitely he should have been a first-round pick, but his skating ability kept him in the second round. That's kind of been just the more frustrating thing for me. And I know Robertson's young, and he's and he's just coming out of the OHL, and this is his first camp, so I'm giving him a little bit of a pass on that. But Garyanov, you'd like to see more out of. He's there was there's been spurts and stretches of his game into in, in the first two games, but you'd like to see more, and you'd like to see. It's one of those things where maybe it's maybe maybe it's an ego thing maybe you hold back maybe he's holding back a little bit thinking before training camp and he's played in the NHL last year and he's above this maybe it's just I don't know what it is but it's that's kind of been a slight disappointment for me um uh Rope Hintz has been um and it is it is pronounced Rope even though half the coaching staff calls him Rupee which is kind of uh um he's Russian currency yes um He's been, this is his, uh, hence, I wrote, and I wrote a story on him that published the other day about his, he's making the transition to North American ice, and I've really liked what he's done. He's a guy who, you know, he's a guy, if you've, as you watch him play, he's gotten better each period. You could see the adjustment. You could see the first period of the first game against Columbus, there was a couple plays where you saw, you actually, and I was watching him closely, you actually saw instances where he was thinking mentally in his head he was still on a bigger rink. You know what I mean? Where he he would take a wide turn, and yeah, all of a sudden, yeah. where he'd be used to in Finland, where he yeah, where he'd be used to in Finland, where he'd have the extra space to stop instead of a play. All of a sudden, there was two feet between him and the boards, and the defender was closing. At each period, he's gotten more and more adjusted to the size of the rink, and that's been really nice to see because I think these these four games will get him adjusted, and then we can kind of see him at his best in training camp, and that's that that may be the most valuable thing from from this tournament. No, I don't disagree with that. And um, I, I feel like if you're kind of just like a, a more so casual hockey fan and you hear about big ice versus small ice and you kind of think, you sit there and think, well, what's the big deal? It's an ice surface. And I mean, what's it like? It's an extra 15 feet wide or something like that. I don't remember exactly off the top of my head. I mean, 15 feet is a lot of space. And I believe it, it's it, 15 feet if I can do math off the top of my head. Yeah, because what's it? What's international? 200 by 100? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. so you got seven and a half feet on each of each sides of the ice, and it, it's one of those things that it, it is a complete. It makes it obviously. I mean, it's not like we're talking about two or three feet here. I mean, even you can make an argument that two or three feet is a pretty big deal. I mean, seven and a half feet on each side of the ice is a pretty big deal. It is two completely different kind of styles of play. Whereas if you're 
a European guy who's used to, if you got speed, you're used to driving around the outside because you have more space to work with. Now all of a sudden, that's not, that space isn't there anymore. And it, it's one of those things that I, it, it got played up a lot in 2014 before the past Olympics because the, I mean, obviously Canada, it didn't really matter because Canada is, was significantly more talented than every other team in the field, but it was an ice surface that traditionally the North American teams did not succeed on, have not succeeded on because of they're not used to it. It's two completely different styles of play. So it, it's one of those things that it does make a difference. And I think that's encouraging to see that he, not just he's getting more comfortable on the smaller ice surface in the big picture, but he's able to kind of make those adjustments within a game too, because that kind of points towards having a hierarchy IQ. And if he's able to make that adjustment, then maybe he's going to be able to make other adjustments within a game well to how he's being played and defended against. It was, it was interesting. I talked to him and you can read about it in the story I wrote. He actually, so this was, this is really his first experience on North American ice in about five or six years because he, uh, he actually, when he was 15 years old, he went and played, um, when he was 15 years old, he played a season in the Empire Major Junior Hockey League which is a Tier 3 league in the U.S. If, if anyone knows anything about the junior hockey system in the U.S., there's the it's, there's the USHL, then there's the NAHL, and then there's... I, mean, I, I, don't even know what the, well, I don't even know what the technical third tier is right now. There's a couple of different ones. There's like five um, or six but, different leagues, and I only know this because I was looking through the roster for the Ohio University club team because I briefly entertained trying out for it and then I looked at their roster from last year and it's a bunch of guys who played like SPJHL, USA, mm-hmm. US3HL, NA3HL, EJHL. I'm like, oh, I'm not that good. I should not I should not go yeah. and get myself so, killed. So hence at 15, hence played in a league like that, played about 25 games in a league like that and was dominant in that league and he uh, then actually played two games in the North American Hockey League as a, as a 15-year-old, which is pretty good, actually, and then went back to Finland. So it was kind of interesting talking to him about that because, and I think one of the key words talking about Ropa Hintz is, I'm able to have a conversation with Ropa Hintz, who's a Finn, in his first year over in North America, which is actually quite a uh, quite impressive because I, for example, I dealt with, and I dealt with the wrong word because um, I... You're trying to have a conversation, but uh, like Yerki Okapaka, when he first came over from Finland, he was he did not he did not he did not speak English, and he actually just signed a PTO with someone, I believe. Um, and Ottawa, uh, maybe I don't remember, but I uh, he was with that. Ottawa last he 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 was with Ottawa at the end of last season. I think it's a PTO with the Capitals, maybe. Um, that sounds right. And uh, and then. Uh, and then Essa Lindell, when he came over, his English was not was not very good. It's gotten better. Um, Julius Honka was fine with English because he had spent it the year he had spent the time in the WHL and he was used to that. But hence for a guy coming over from Finland in his first year over in North America, he, he actually communicates really well. And uh, that's also another thing too because you can just tell. Not only can he make adjustments within the game, he's just more comfortable. So I think he's making those he's he's hence is making those adjustments on the ice, off the ice, and. It's it's really a nice thing to see. Um, the more I look at the numbers, I don't think he's going to be. I I keep seeing limited the the way things and talking to people and how numbers are crunching and things like that. 
I it's harder and harder to see him actually making the NHL roster, which was going to be a stretch anyway, but he could have a really nice year in the AHL and maybe get a call up uh, in case of an injury, something along those lines. Yeah, I think um, I think we kind of talked about that last week. I don't know that he's a guy that would get called up in terms of if they just needed someone for like a week or two, but if you look at, God forbid, Jason Spezza or Martin Hansel or Tyler Sagan gets hurt, and it's going to be a long period type thing. And you like, that's not a situation where you want Jamel Smith centering your top line or something like that. You want a guy with a little bit more skill and depending on it, hypothetically when that in the season, that injury would happen and how he's playing in the AHL. I think that's a situation where you'd see him get called up and get NHL action this season because of his puck skills and his ability to kind of potentially mesh with more of this on more of a skilled line as opposed to a third, fourth line checking role. Yeah, similar guys who are going through, and it's kind of the other, and it's a different position. And I know it's, it's, I know it's, uh, so you have to judge on a different scale. But to give you an idea of how well Hints has been adjusting, um, Nicholas Hansen and John Nyberg um, are playing on North American ice, and they've played in Europe, and they played in Sweden last year, and they have not adjusted as well. They're they are defensemen, and the Stars haven't had the best defensive structure from their forward group because of how raw and young this group is. But by comparison, if you just look at the individual players, they have not had the same adjustment to the speed and the decision-making that Hintz has had. And so that's kind of a good example of within the game of how um, Hintz is kind of... He is showing his hockey IQ there, and he's uh, he could kind of be that player that he, he Stars hope he, can, hope he turns into. Um the defense has been interesting here because while they lost uh, Heishkinen from for this tournament, it's got a bunch of players who are when you when you look at this defense group, it's not the prospect pool of guys who we go through and we map out three four years from now as hey these guys are the certainties, but these are the guys that we map out and you look at well you know what if something if something clicks here or clicks there for this guy. They could challenge for that spot in three or four years. So that's kind of been the interesting thing to watch with this defense because it's a lot of uh, all prospects are projects. That's something we need to remember. But it's a lot of projects that have a potential to be exciting if something if you, if they tick off this box or that box or or they could be and, and it could it's something that's what's that's been the most interesting part about the defense for me at this tournament. No, I totally agree with that. You're looking at, like if you look at the guys that they brought. I mean, I know that we've talked a little bit about Nick Hansen in the past, uh, probably more than you would uh, for a guy who isn't necessarily in that top tier prospects, but you look at him, you look at John Nyberg, these are two guys that I, I feel like they fall into that category of guys who have a very wide range in terms of what they could potentially be as players where you could see both of these guys making solid NHL contributions down the road, or you could never hear from them again, a la Matthias Backman after a couple of years. Um, and then obviously there's Gavin Bayreuther, who I know we're both pretty high on as well. And, you know, you got Chris Martinet, Andre Vala. The defense is actually probably the, in, in terms of what, I, I know with the tournament is by the time this, people hear this podcast, it's going to be almost over, but the defense would be more, what I was would want to be looking at coming into this tournament because it's more filled out with guys who I think have a better chance of making long-term contributions as opposed to the forward group. When you look at the top line of 
Rope, Dennis Gurianov, Jason Robertson, you have Nick Kamano. These are the guys that, those are really the only guys in the forward group that really off the, like just off the bat, you'd expect to be NHL guys someday. Defensively, you could legitimately see five of the six guys who the stars had in the lineup for their last game eventually playing in the NHL. At the same time, zero of those six guys could be, it's a really wide range. So it's, yeah. Yeah. That's, I don't know that I really had a point to make there, but. No, and it's and you look at that group too, and we've we've talked about Bayreuther. Bayreuther has been, um, Bayreuther's been fun to watch at this tournament because of his. Uh, I watched him a little bit in the AHL last year, but this has been the first chance to watch him more up close for me, um, in a in a in an up close setting, in a game setting. He is a very. I didn't realize how smooth of a skater he was. He is. I knew he was. He moved well, but it's it's one of those where he's got like a skating stride that looks like a pro you know what i'm saying when i say that yeah yeah absolutely yeah so and bayreuther he is he is a bit older he's the captain of this team he came out he's got four years of college experience so he's supposed to look he's supposed to look more composed he's supposed to look like one of the better players and he has so if you're looking at the sliding scale for what he's supposed to do he's done a pretty good job um we talked about Hanson and Nyberg. I've actually been, I have to give Chris Martin a lot of credit because Chris Martin at this tournament last year was not very good. And he's a guy who I, I still think he's going to end up being in the ECHL and playing in the ECHL just because of playing time. But he has clearly, um, he's clearly taken more, he's taken some steps in his game to, to be more uh, diverse in his game. Because even when uh, Chris Martinet was playing for London um, in the OHL before he was traded to Ottawa, in the OHL he was he would he was good he was good defensively. He didn't really have to deal with he didn't deal with speed very well. But whenever he got the puck, it was take it, dump it, in, and, and dump it in off the boards and out, off the boards and out, off the boards and out. And that's not a bad thing. You want guys who make who can make those simple plays. That you you want that, but. You also that also can't be the only thing. You don't want him going, corralling the puck and going off the boards and out when there's a play to be made. And that's all he really was in games. I would watch him in the OHL, and he seems like he's gotten better with the puck. He seems like he's made some nice strides, and I got I got to give him some credit for that. Um, Andre Vala, I have to uh, I have to give I have to give Andre Vala credit for the. Uh, I have to give Andre Vala for the best credit for the best quote of the tournament so far. If uh, if you haven't seen it, um, I was because Andre Vala was a guy who was a free agent invite at this tournament last year, and he went through. He was undrafted out of the WHL, and he had a uh, had a good tournament last year and, and earned himself an NHL contract. And so uh, you can read the story about. I wrote a story about how that published this morning about how guys. Uh, how the free agent invites can have a nice showing for themselves here, and Vala, direct quote from Andre Vala in, in a nice on the in the in the interview yesterday about 2016, he said, "I just battled like a motherfucker." That is fantastic. For so the full quote for full for full reference, I asked him about his 2016 tournament. Andre Vala, I just battled like a motherfucker. I was happy they gave me an opportunity to wear this jersey, so I'll battle for it. Nice, I love it. We're we're, uh, we're earning that explicit tag on this podcast today. Thanks, Andre. That's 
Yes, that's why we have the. Uh, I, I could have. Uh, yeah, that's that's why we have the. Uh, that's why we have the explicit label on the podcast, so we can give you the full access to what quotes are actually said. Sometimes we don't mince words. No, but he uh, he looked better for him. For example, I thought he had a kind of a rough game one. He looked better yesterday. Um, he's kind of a he's six four two ten, good size. He's got a heavy shot. Um, type of guy that. There's a canvas there. If he can kind of grow into it, um, there could be something there. You're not going to – you signed him as an undrafted free agent, um, so you're not going to worry. If he if he doesn't pan out, you're not losing any sleep. But if he does turn into something, you're you're happy about it. Right, and that's you know that's kind of how I feel about Martinet too. I mean, I, I mean he's drafted, so there's a little more um, – it's not just free assets in, in the way that Andre Vala was an undrafted signing. Um, but a fourth round pick, he's not necessarily a guy that has the weight of the world on his shoulders. And he's a big dude. He is, he's not as heavy as Jamie Alexiak is, but he's also listed at six, seven. So he's another big dude. And if he can kind of add to that frame, um, he would give the stars something in their organization that I'm assuming they're going to lose in Alexiak at some point here in the next month. And being a fourth round pick, you, he kind of has a little bit more time to, develop and kind of figure out his game in the AHL as opposed to Alexiak, who's kind of been forced to do that from the press box at the NHL level because of his waiver status. Um, so I think it's going to be interesting to see how Martinet grows this year. Um, he could be an intriguing piece down the line, but it's not something that I feel like we should invest a ton of time worrying about right now because if he doesn't pan out I feel like there's a higher chance he doesn't pan out than he will but it's something to keep an eye on in the future yeah and Martin it's a legit 6-7 too it's not he's not uh he's not a 6-5 guy listed two inches taller he is he is a legit 6-7 his uh quick random Bowling Green connection his father played college basketball Bowling Green I did not know that that's kind of cool so all three listeners who care about that just clap their hands everyone else everyone else tuned out <laughs> another random bowling green fact apparently chris pronger once got arrested for dui on i-75 just outside of bg after visiting his brother sean in town oh fun facts fun facts i don't fun remember where i read bowling. that but i saw i saw that at one point or, or no it was um it was sports sb nation college hockey did something about the best players who never played who were going to play college hockey but never did and pronger was one of those guys and it was kind of like basically hearsay because back in that day there wasn't obviously social media and internet and college hockey recruiting wasn't really talked about it was just basically these guys show up on campus and whatever but it see there's it it seemed to be heavily implied that before he went major junior that he might have been committed to play at bowling green just because his br- brother Sean Pronger played at BG as well, mm-hmm. and that kind of they kind of talked about that story. That even though he never played there, he does have a connection there because he got arrested for DUI just outside of town. So I thought that was kind of funny. That is that is a fun fact, or, or for not for Chris Pronger, but it's a fun fact. Uh, the uh, the defense, it's the other defenseman who's played. Uh, the other defenseman who's. The other defenseman, we talked about the five guys who were officially prospects. The other two defensemen are uh, Eric Sweetman, who was actually uh, 
he's a free agent invite. He's actually on an AHL contract too with the Texas Stars. He uh, and Shane Han and, and Sweetman was a uh, actually Gavin Bayreuther's uh, uh, defense partner at St. Lawrence, and so he actually was a he was kind of a as the Stars were recruiting Bayreuther and trying to land him as a free agent. He was the uh, he benefited from the Stars saying, "Hey, let's let's take a flyer on this kid." And then Shane Hanna is the other defenseman who played game one and then was scratched game two. And Sweet, him and Sweetman switched games. And they're both depth guys who will probably end up in Idaho with the Steelheads. But, um, I mean, if, I think, if I've taken one thing away from this tournament is I think the Boise, the uh, the Idaho Steelheads might have a pretty good team because some of these guys who are going to end up down there, they really work their ass off. Yeah, that'll be, it's good for, obviously, for organizational depth. So that's... You like to see, I feel like, uh, guys at your ECHL aff- affiliate be somewhat affiliated with the NHL club and not as much just guys that they kind of signed to fill out their roster. Um, so that's o- always a positive, I'd say. Yeah. Now Speaking we need to talk about some other... Okay, what you got? The, uh, <laughs> the, the Cleveland Browns started their season off um, having a punt blocked for a touchdown. So the Browns are already brownsing and we are merely 15 minutes into the NFL season. Oh, I've got the Lions game on mute over here and the Cardinals scored on a pick six. I think I might be wrong. I'm not paying attention, but I feel like Browns fans are, it's funny because everyone I know is a Browns fan, but I feel like the demographic of this podcast is not Browns fans. So everyone who is listening is saying, why do I care about the Browns? They're garbage. And you would be right. Or they're, I mean, or they're laughing at them, which is fine too. Uh, Exactly. One thing uh, to talk, we just, I mentioned this tournament being a opportunity to talk to quite a few people in the organization, talk to talk to Ken Hitchcock, talk to Jim Nillmore, have some more conversations. Um, we're starting to get a better through this through over the past four or five days. You start we've started to get a much better feel, um, a more solidified feel of what things are going to look like as we head to training camp. Obviously. Training camp is going to be the final determining factor, and jobs have to be won. But a couple of keynotes that I'm going to go over, and then I'll let you kind of react to each of them, Ryan, and uh, um, and and then we can continue the conversation from there. First of all, it appears and it seems like um, that it is going to be. A fort. It sounds. It's looking more and more like it's going to be a fourteen forward, seven defenseman, two goalie roster. Um, and in that case, and that comes down to a couple of things. One, and we talked about it last week with Ken Hitchcock, and and he confirmed that to me again. How he wants, he's going to have his six defensemen, and whoever seven is going to be waiting. And so, it, there's no point in carrying an eighth defenseman. Um, it's going to be quite a battle in training camp because they've got nine guys going into training camp with NHL experience, and they got to narrow that down to seven. So two guys will be out of here somehow. And also, it goes. It also comes down to they want to carry. They'll, they'll want to carry fourteen forwards because Matthias Yanmark. The nature of Matthias Yanmark's health literally is day to day. It's one of those things where he's look. Each step has looked good for Matthias Yanmark. He's skated well. He has his all the surgeries have gone well, but they don't know how that knee is going to hold up. The, they don't know how that knee's going to hold up the first time he gets hit along the boards. And 
and as Jim Neal said to me, they don't know how that knee is going to hold up because it will happen. What's going to happen at the point where how will his knee hold up if, say, he say he's great for the first six weeks of the season, but say they get to December and an inadvertent knee-on-knee collision, which is which is bad enough for somebody else in general, but they don't know how he is, they don't know how fragile that knee actually is, and there's not like, there's it's not like it's a traditional injury where they can, and so because of that, they need to have the flexibility there, and you're looking at, at an opportunity where it, it's starting to spell out that it's going to be, that it looks like there's going to be 14 forwards. With that said, and with that being said, and you take a look at, 14 forwards. I also start getting more and more feel that R.J. Umberger has a legit chance to make this NHL roster, which is going to be, I know some people aren't, I, I tweeted that and I saw the reactions from some fans on that, but uh, R.J. Umberger has been, was brought in by Ken Hitchcock. He's played for Hitchcock on two different teams. And if he can skate and if he's healthy, Hitchcock believes he brings a nice element to this group. So, um, there's other things we'll talk about too, but I'll just starting with those three things. I'll let. I'll, what's your reaction? What do you think when when you hear when you hear those news and notes? Um, when you couple the uh, fourteen forwards thing with the RJ Umberger thing, it kind of makes sense to kind of complement and validate each other in that way. I think um, I couldn't even tell you the last time I saw RJ Umberger play, but I think that's the biggest thing is health. If he's healthy, I do think he has a legit chance to make this team in the sense. That he's not a, I mean, he's not a great player. He's not a bad player. He's a good, what he would be on this team, a bottom line forward, potentially 13th or 14th guy, and who's a veteran who can help the younger guys on the team. And it also kind of pushes everyone else down the rung a little bit. So you can put someone like Jason Dickinson in the AHL and let him get big line minutes early. Let Jamel Smith play in the AHL. So these guys aren't wasting away playing seven minutes a night in the NHL or sitting in the press box. So I think that's good. I think um, I'm glad that Ken Hitchcock kind of came out with his we're playing six guys and the seventh guy's just going to sit and wait thing because that basically, I mean, it's bad in the sense that it's good and bad in the sense that it forces Jim Nail's hand because it kind of goes into a situation now where if you're trying to trade someone, if I'm another GM, I'm going to say, well, I know you're just going to send this guy down anyway, so why should I give you anything for him? Um, but it's good in the sense that it forces, it basically forces Jim Nail to do something now. Because, as you said with Ian Mark, with the nature of Ian Mark's injury, you need more, you need more, the extra forward in there, you don't, and especially if they're not going to be doing a defenseman rotation, there's absolutely no reason whatsoever to carry an eighth defenseman. Because that's, you're wasting a roster spot then. So, it's good. I'm glad I, that I, I would say that it is coming 365 days too late, but, Good. It's good that they've finally gotten to, I mean, as it turns out, it didn't really matter last year anyway, because the team was not good, but but we're here now and that's all that matters. Further things on my conversation with Hitchcock, just kind of, um, it's been fun for us to draw up lines and I I don't know how truthfully he was in the fact he hasn't looked at lines at all, but it was interesting where he says he's taken a look and this just, this just further solidifies the point he made when he talked about, uh, to Mike Heike a week ago and mentioned Hansel and Foxa together, um, where he said he's looked at, he heads into training camp and he sees some forward pairs he likes together. He doesn't see full lines yet, but he likes Ben and Sagan together. He likes Foxa and Hansel together, and he likes Yanmark and, uh, um, uh, sorry, Foxa and Hansel, not, sorry, 
let me make sure I say that correctly, Ben and Sagan, Fox and Hansel, and Yanmark and Spezza. He likes those 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 forwards group those forwards as pairs, and then you kind of figure out how to fill out uh, the rest of that grouping. Um, I asked him to kind of get a because uh, we didn't have a chance to ask the follow up question. Um, since I didn't do the interview, to, I, I asked him why he thought Fox and Hansel worked together. And he said it was limited, but he liked what they did together when they were on the ice together in the World Cup last year. It was a limited time because I remember uh, Fox had dealt with the injury and things like that. But Hitchcock said watching the World Cup, he liked what they did together. And he'd like to see if they can do something like that in the, uh, if they can do something like that this season with the Stars. Um, Yanmark and Spezza make sense together. They had a really good combination two years ago where Yanmark made up for Spezza's defensive uh, deficiencies, and uh, obviously we know why you keep Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan together. Um, that wasn't news to an extent because we kind of predicted that, but it was kind of nice to get some clarification on where things were coming from from the Hansel Foxa thing just because we had even mentioned last week where it just seemed odd to us. Yeah, I agree with that. I guess I didn't. I completely forgot that they were on the same World Cup team last year because I know someone asked this question. I, someone might have asked this question, or we're still talking about the you're kind of neutralizing one of the strengths of your team, which is these are probably your two best face-off guys. So, I mean, it's one of those things that I'm willing to give it a chance, mostly because I really don't have much of a choice. <laughs> but um, I think I think it's an interesting thought experiment, and I'm kind of intrigued to see how it plays out yeah it's uh and then on top of that i asked 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 titch about the center situation where you're going to have with those potential lineups you're going to have natural centers not playing center and he believed in in his in his mind and you're you can agree or disagree i don't know if i completely i don't i don't completely agree with him but in his mind he says the center actually being listed as a center is overrated um and centers play spend a lot of the time in the wing anyway and well that's true in a sense i think that players still think about it that way um and there's also obviously there's there's responsibilities that come with being the center of where you are defensively and, and things like that so while it um i see his point i don't completely agree with it but i that's a little bit more explanation on and yes, he does. And someone asked me if if he if he misspoke and meant right wing on Spezza. And no, he actually meant Spezza on left wing when he did. We got clarification on that as well. Yeah. So that's um, again. I'm interested to see how it plays out because they uh, they sure loaded up on the centers in the off season. Well, by loaded up on yes. the centers, I mean they added yes, Martin Hansel, but they are they added to an already loaded center situation that kind of became ambiguous last year and it led to issues kind of mm -hmm. yeah it's uh we, we have some more answers i mean we don't have full answers because training camp will give us four more full answers but we have some more ideas and we've gotten a little bit more of a look into hitchcock's brain um which is uh and I'm sure we'll have more of that once we get into the season because we, as there'll be more availability things along those lines. Um, we also have uh, so also another thing just coming from this week is we, I, Stu Barnes said the, I talked to Stu Barnes about the power play, 
And Stu Barnes said the exact statement that Stars fans will love to see, um, will love to hear. If, if you haven't read the story, go read the story. Um, about I asked him about how the power play is going to be different, and he talked a lot about how Stu is looking at it as a very he likes the pieces he has in place. He looks he likes the blank canvas you have with the tools he has there, um, and a lot of it he looks at as creating it, it, it it's creating a mentality, and it's something that. Um, well, the X's and O's are important. A lot of the thing about who's going to be on the power play, who's going to be there. It's a lot of it's going to be a mentality thing, and who's going to earn that playing time. Which I liked hearing that. I liked hearing it's uh, while ob- while it's obvious you're going to have your best players. You're going to have Tyler Sagan, you're going to have Jamie Ben on the power play, things like that. But it is nice to it is nice to it's sometimes it's nice to hear a coach say, you know what, we're going to wait and evaluate and figure out who should be on there. That that's actually refreshing to hear sometimes. Um, also, asked Stu Barnes about the drop pass just because. It, what type of tool it could be used, and I, let me see if I can get the direct quote here, um, which is uh, much cleaner in language than Andre Valla's uh, quote for us. Um, hold on. The essentially, um, I asked Barnes about the drop pass, and he said it's a good tool, but it's it's a good tool, but it, it you, you have to have other wrinkles, otherwise it'll never work, and. That's kind of the thing where we've talked about diversity. We talked about having diversity on the power play before, and it sounds like they've got an assistant coach running the power play that um, has the similar line of thinking that we have on on how to handle that, and that, that's positive to hear too because I think it will work. It'll work much better that way. Yeah, I agree. Um, I feel like there's you look at those three guys on that we are assuming are going to be on the top line, Sagan, Ben Radulov. I feel like that's this team is at a place with its other forwards other than those guys that really any of those guys could end up on the power play depending on the day and how everyone's playing. So that's kind of good that they're not really married to a set of guys that mm-hmm. you'll have on the power play. And I agree with that strategy that it should be something that's merit-based that if you don't have kind of a clear-cut top echelon of guys that are 100% more skilled. Like if you have like we talked about this in the past too, that this team isn't like the, the line structure of this team and just kind of in the NHL now is a lot more fluid than it used to be. And if you don't have that kind of preset top six, then you might as well just kind of go with whoever's playing the best. And it's good that they're kind of, they're willing to adopt that strategy for this. He did, he did say, uh, Barnes did say, did hint at the fact that he does like the potential of just the net front presence they'll have on the power play between with Hansel and uh, and and uh, potentially Foxa being on that second unit of just being guys who can be big, strong, and making it difficult um, to go in front of the net. But that's not set in stone. That's just kind of an idea that was thrown out there. Um, let's uh, let's we got we got more questions this week than we did last week, so I'm going to jump right into the questions now because they cover some of the. Uh, they cover some of the things I wanted to cover anyway, and so I'll just let the that handle that. Um, first one from Robert Tiffin on Twitter: um, Is it inconsistent of Hitch to watch Sagan to be to say to watch Sagan to be a center while moving Fox to the wing? Seems like it sets Roddick back developmentally. We've talked about this before. Um, I think it is interesting that I think it is interesting that you have. Hitch committing to Sagan being his number one center and, and things like that. 
um, and talking about position with with that guy with with Sagan, but um, what, what am I trying to say here? Um, Sagan Sagan's also Sagan's partner. The the chemistry that he that uh, the chemistry that uh, that Hitch is looking at with with Sagan's partner is Jamie Ben, who's a left wing, and all of his other partner partner partners he sees uh, at forward that will be used as the base for for lines are I mean Yanmark technically was a center before it was technically came up as a center before uh, he played on the wing with Spezza in the past so um, I think it's slight I do think it's slightly inconsistent but uh, and I'm doing a terrible job of answering this question so I'm gonna let Ryan talk well that was the question that I was referencing it, it was phrased a little differently than i remembered it being but then you said it and i remembered it no i completely agree with that point that this it's same song with a different person now you're i feel like long-term i mean right fox is a center i feel like his long-term potential should be at center i feel like he's at his, i i obviously not having seen him play wing i feel like he's most useful as a center because of his ability to win face-offs his defensive acumen and i just putting him i mean unless you put him on a wing and they're seeing something that I'm not. I just, I don't understand why that you're moving him over there because it, it, it yeah, that's, I, I basically, in short, I completely agree with that, that it's, it's you, the same thing that happened to Tyler Sagan last year, but you're doing with a different player now. So. Yeah. Um, Let's stick with. I got a couple prospect related questions, and we'll get. I'll, I'll use them to wrap up the thing. But uh, first off, let's go. Uh, I don't even know if I have a. You have a favorite Canadian candy bar, Ryan? I don't even know what would qualify as a Canadian candy bar. I don't know that I've ever had a truly Canadian candy bar. I don't know the answer to this either. I mean, let's see, Canadian candy bars. Um, I, 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 I feel bad because I don't know the answer to this question and I just haven't had enough Canadian candy bars apparently to Christopher, Barna, uh, Christopher Barnard, Bar, Barnard who asked the question and I'm sorry for butchering your last name he says, his, uh, says Cadbury's Crunchy is by far his favorite uh, candy bar from Canada um, which yeah I, I don't know what that the is word for. I'm a fan of Canadian coffee, but I don't know about Canadian candy bars. I am a fan of Canadian coffee. Um, to answer his other question, um, um, and I was waiting to touch on the goalies because I knew we'd have questions coming up on this um, at the prospect tournament. He says, uh, uh, Brodeur's, uh, Martin Brodeur's son, how does he look? Um, so for a quick, uh, quick uh, clarification here, uh, Jeremy Brodeur is Martin Brodeur's son. He's a free agent invite at this camp. And the backup goalie here. Um, I know I've been asked a couple times on Twitter how the star, when and when and how the star signed him. He is not a star's prospect. He is just a free agent invite, um, and he's been the uh, backup for two games to Landon Bow. Um, and Landon Bow has not had the uh, finest showing this tournament either. He's let up 13 goals on I think 52 shots. Um, so, um, but Jeremy Brodeur is a. I believe he actually was on a was a playoff backup for the Toledo Walleye last year after he finished his OHL season with Oshawa. Um, he's a nice kid. Talked to him a couple. I talked to him. He's a nice kid. 
Um, he's a I haven't seen him play in a game yet, but he's a he's a minor league goalie. He is a I'm, I'm sure I would imagine an ECHL team will sign him. Um, ECHL team will sign him. He had decent numbers in the OHL this last season, but uh, he's uh he's he's just might see him play tomorrow because the Stars after they let up 14 goals in two games might as well give the kid a shot give the kid a shot if you're going to bring him here, but. Not uh, not too much to write home about on uh, Jeremy. Yeah, no kidding. You might as well. Uh, couldn't get any worse, so just throw him out there and see what happens. The uh, and, and to stay on that topic real quick, um, Landon Bow is a uh, his his tournament this year. He's kind of you talk about not. I mean. He hasn't had much defensive help. There's been there's been quite a few point blank chances, quite a few goals that have been just he's had no chance on. But this was a tournament for Landon Bow where he could have come in and as the only prospect goalie here for Dallas, he could have played all four games. He could have and he could have really um, he could have really gotten a head start on the competition to be the starter in the AHL. Um, or at least be the other goal in the AHL with Mike McKenna. With what he's done here, it's not that he's hurt himself because Philip DeRogier hasn't been playing, and Philip DeRogier spent time in the ECHL last year as well. So, um, but he hasn't helped himself. Even if he has, a, even if he has a good game, even if he has a bounce back game later in the tournament, there's still not that momentum. Would you like to help? Especially because I, I came up to this tournament. It was one of those where I drove as I was driving up to the tournament. I was thinking about doing a story on him and talking to, and talking to him about how he could use this to build into training camp. After the first game, he let up seven goals. I said, "Ah, you know what? I'll wait until after the next game. He'll have a bounce back game. He didn't have a bounce back game against St. Louis, so um, kind of just window of opportunity kind of missed. And I'm not saying they would have they wouldn't be two and zero if he had played great, but they would have been they wouldn't be uh, they wouldn't be zero two if he had played if he had played if he's played if he'd played a little bit better at this tournament." Right, it's kind of one of those situations where he definitely could have helped himself with a strong tournament, as you said, but um, <laughs> it hasn't really happened so far. So, yeah, more and in, more ensuing questions, I'm sure, will come about the goaltending depth after uh, Jake Ottinger. Yes. Um, Nathan Graham asks, "What is the likely fit slash role for Brett Ritchie this season?" Um. I'll let you field that one to start, Ryan. Um, I, it just kind of, I think it, the answer to this question depends on what happens with Alex Radulov. If Radulov finds chemistry with Ben and Sagan, that is the no-brainer fit for him. And with Richie, I, but I don't, like, he has the talent to be a top six forward in the NHL, but it, he needs to put it together. And so he's not going to be, a, he's going to be a guy that he's going to have to not earn his place on this team because he's going to be 100% on this team in the lineup as long as he's healthy and not playing like total crap. But he needs to kind of earn his place in the lineup in training camp, I feel like. Cause I could see him being, I could see him fitting on any line on this team. I mean, he's a big physical guy. Uh, so you can kind of throw him out there in a checking role. That's, I'd argue that's not where he's most useful. I feel like he's most useful on either of the two middle lines of this team playing as a scoring right winger. Um, so the 
ambiguous answer to this question that I'm kind of dancing around is it depends because I really don't know. It, it, I, it honestly totally 100% depends on Brett. If he put in the work in the offseason and he comes in and he has a great camp, I could see him playing 15 to 18 minutes a night alongside Jason Spezza and Matthias Janmark. I could also see him playing seven minutes a night alongside Adam Cracknell and Devin Shore. So it, honestly, it just kind of depends, I feel like. It's it's interesting because we uh, so if we if we go off the if we go off the and try and create lines using Hitchcock's uh, current pairs as as the, as the skeleton to start, if we say okay, Radulov's going to be the top line, um, and if we're going to have if we're if we're going to have Foxa if we're going to have Foxa and uh, Foxa Hansel and Roussel. All on, you could put Fox and Hansel and Roussel all on the same side, but then you've got three left-handed players all on the same line, and I don't know if that's that that could be an area of no concern. It's just something to think about. Um, that could be a very annoying line to play against, but it's 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 something just to think about. So, um, if you take those those groups of two and you say, okay, we'll put Radulov with Ben and Sagan. Um, Richie works with both of those other twosomes. You could he could be a good. Right, he could be a good right wing fit with. Uh, he'd be he's big, and with him playing with Foxa and Hansel, that'd be a very big group. That would be. It wouldn't be the. Uh, it wouldn't be the most fleet of foot group, but it would be a big group that would be difficult to. Uh, once they got zone time and they got possession, they'd be hard to move around by in front of the other team's net. Um, Richie, you could also see playing with Yanmark and Spezzo. Be a bit quicker line. He'd be the the big guy on be the big guy in that line and. Um, it's my gut says I think we end up seeing Richie with uh, I think I think we end up seeing him playing with uh, Foxa and Hansel and that's just a start but that's only that's just a that's just a gut feeling um, it's not there's nothing to say that it's just that's just kind of where and I, I could be completely wrong on that gut feeling but it's just it's just what it, where my mind kind of goes right now. I don't disagree with that. And I mean, I think it's also kind of important to mention that just with the way the game has kind of transpired the last 10 years that he's probably going to end up playing on all four lines at some point this season, because it's all, unless one line is just so significantly is just has such ridiculous chemistry together that it would be criminal to break them apart. I wouldn't I, in fact, I would be surprised if he wasn't playing on all four lines at some point this year. Mm-hmm. Um, last question for the uh, from uh, Justin Schmidt says hello from Florida. First of all, Justin, stay safe in Florida, and to everyone down in Florida, if you're listening to this, stay safe. Um, with uh, obviously the the weather patterns down there. Um, what way too early prediction for best defense for best defenseman in three years? Um, I've talked about this in my mailbag before, so I'll let you uh, take it away, Ryan. And well, I, I'm assuming he means best stars defenseman in three years. Yeah, because I, if we're going best NHL defenseman, I'm going to need a minute. <laughs> but I feel like uh, it's going to be a coin flip between Miro and Honka. I don't have anything really scientific to add to that. I mean, you just look at these guys' pedigree. I, they, uh, the Stars tweeted out um, a couple of days ago the 
goal that Hawk has scored in overtime this past year and just the way that he handles the puck in space is remarkable that I it it was it's just he's so much fun to watch and I think that he has uh, just seeing that again just kind of reinforces to me the potential that he has to be a true difference maker at the NHL level and he's only going to get better with uh as he gets more experience um as someone who hasn't really seen a ton of Miro Heiskin in play I can't really compare him to anyone off the top of my head but just same thing given his pedigree and the way he kind of acquitted himself last year playing against grown men as a 17 year old is incredibly positive so I, I the, and then I mean you throw in I mean this isn't even to knock on John Klingberg who I think is going to be continue to be a really good defenseman for the stars but you if you're building your defense around those three for the next decade you're in pretty good shape I would say for uh, Heiskanen who did not which is kind of it's a bummer to have not seen him play in this tournament this weekend but um, and this is a style comparison and not an expectation because no one, it's not fair to put this expectation on anyone, but Heiskanen plays like Nick Lindstrom. Like, a, uh, it's it's not fair to put that expectation on any player to compare them to Nick Lindstrom. Nick Lindstrom played for, what, 18 years in Detroit? I mean, I think, I think Nick Lindstrom in his final year, in his final year of his career, he was still getting like top five Norris votes. He was like 30. 38 or something like that um however old he was when he in his last season so it's not fair to to put that expectation on heishkinen but there is styly he stylistically he plays like lidstrom he play in in the defensive zone he is so smart and does all the right little things um the attention to detail in the neutral zone and the offensive zone are also there there's the pat the passes are on the money they're it's, it's quick decisions. It's stylistically, he plays he plays like one of the best defensemen of all time, and that's a style comparison, not an expectation. I'm gonna say that I'll probably say that six more times. I'll probably say it six more times during this podcast alone. Hopefully not. Uh, three years from now, he might not be better than Honka. Just with with three years, three years from now, he might not be better than Honka. Honka might be a better player three years from now, but five five years from now. Five years from now, five or six years from now, you're looking at, and he's only 24 at that time. That's the crazy thing to think about this. Miro Heiskanen will only be 24 in five or six in, in, in six years. You could be looking at a at a if he continues on a path, if he continues on a path that he's on right now, if he can continue on a path and hit all of those check boxes and be everything, you're looking at a guy that could be a Norris candidate. As a 23, 24-year-old, that's a really high ceiling, and I'm not expecting him to be there, but that's just its an exciting possibility because he's got the tools to be that that player. In talking about six years down the line, it, I kind of wish that um, the bottom would have fallen off of the Stars this year as opposed to last year because every time I see a Rasmus Dahlin highlight get retweeted into my timeline... I kind of want the stars to suck again because he is going to be a truly transcendent defenseman in the NHL. And if you have never seen a highlight of Rasmus Dahlin, I encourage you to look it up because he's like, I don't know if he turned 17 yet, but he's 
a 16-year-old playing in the top, the Swedish men's league, and he is just nasty with what he can do with the puck. It's fun to watch. He's a good player. He's a really good player. He, uh, I mean, hopefully... Uh... God, could you imagine Dallas with a, uh, a, a top pair of Darlene Klingberg and then a second pair of Heishkin and Honka? You got the Swedish pair, the Finnish pair. That would be fun. It would. I see. I don't want that to happen because I feel like if the bottom falls out the stars on the stars this year and they get the first overall pick next year, then there is a zero percent chance that they are able to retain Tyler Sagan long term. So that's kind of a you shoot yourself in the the leg to get what you want. But yeah, let me address something real quick on Tyler because I, I was asked this question in the mailbag and I got a little bit of flack back for it. Uh, I was asked. Somebody asked if uh, in the mailbag this week. Somebody asked. Uh, as since the trade deadline was announced, who might be a player they would go after? A player they would who who would be a player that they would uh, possibly trade at the deadline? And I said if they're sellers at the deadline, Tyler Sagan could be on the move. And to let me clarify, because I know I got a lot of flack, a couple flack, some flack from people saying, "Oh, how would they trade a top center like that? How would they trade?" If the Stars are sellers at the deadline, this experiment has not worked. If the Stars are sellers at the deadline. This team, what they what they did all offseason, it didn't work, and you have to blow it up. That's 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 what I meant by Sagan could potentially be traded at the deadline. And Ty, Tyler Sagan is not going to stick around for that. He's not going to re-sign for that. I know he would have another year after that, but you would get the most value then. And you'd have to, and, and it's just, that's, 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 that's why I was saying that. I'm not saying that they would be sellers at the deadline and they'd be, and they'd be trying to get him for better assets or anything like that. It's just... If the Stars are sellers at the deadline, Tyler Sagan is not going to be part of this team. I don't see how how and why he would want, still want to be part of this team when it's time to sign a new contract and get his big money. No, and we are getting 100. This is a hypothetical universe that really doesn't need... I don't want to go down because it'll just make me sad, but I do think it needs. it does need to be addressed because if you're looking at a situation where the Stars aren't making the playoffs again this year... If you're a 25-year-old elite player in the NHL, one year away from unrestricted free agency, why the hell would you want to commit yourself to a team that has missed the playoffs in three of your four seasons with them? There's absolutely no reason that you'd want to do that. You're going to test the, if he, te- if Tyler Sagan tested the open market, he would probably become the highest paid player in the NHL. I'm not saying that he would be that he's the best player in the NHL and deserves to be paid like the best player in the NHL, but the bidding war that would ensue for that would be silly as hell. And I truly think that on the open market, Tyler Sagan would get close to touching the extension that make or the deal that McDavid got. Obviously it wouldn't be as rich overall because there would be it would be one less year. But I think that on an open market Tyler Sagan would net close to twelve million dollars a year because there would be thirty one teams trying to sign him. Well, there wouldn't be 31 teams trying to sign him. Every single team that had cap space would be trying to sign him. So it, it, it's one of those things that obviously that you don't worry about it right now, Stars fans, because this is in a situation where if where the bottom falls out again and we're sitting here in February talking about the same shit we were talking about in last February where the Stars are awful again. And there's no reason that they should be awful again. But like you said, if they are again, then you have to start over. Because this 
we're not talking about a situation here where the stars made a couple of minor changes in the offseason and it doesn't work then okay well then we go and do our complete reload retool whatever thing because that's what this offseason was everything that went wrong for dallas last year went wrong and we're sitting here now talking about the stars bringing in a new goalie and investing him long term trading for a top four possible top pairing defenseman to kind of help your horse get back on his game bringing in and committing six years to a 30-year-old scoring winger. There's no, if, if it doesn't work, then there's literally nothing else you can do but blow it up and start over. And that sucks to hear, but it's true. Yeah, and, and they can, and here's the thing. The Central Division is so good, and I actually believe, I believe they can miss the playoffs and still keep Sagan as part of the fold, but, but by that I mean you miss the playoffs by one point, two points, just, the central is loaded right. because right. of yes. You're not but talking about a sellers, situation where they're clear sellers. Yes, yeah. But so the question was if they were a seller at the deadline, and and that's why if they are a seller and they are they were a year earlier, that's why he, he's a candidate to be shipped out. Um, to end it on a positive note, that's not going to happen. Just I mean I can't promise it, but it's it's there's there's too much in place and everything seems to be moving in the right direction and it, it's going to be an exciting season it's something that uh we're going to be we're heading to training camp this week um i think the first preseason game is actually a week from tomorrow believe it or not um because training camps are shorter than ever now um and uh it's not a week from tomorrow it's a week after but yeah the 19th is the first uh the 19th is the first preseason game so we're close to getting to act, watching action yeah so it's going to be a fun team to watch this year um and i'm just gonna i'm gonna hope hope i'm right on that because it's gonna yeah. be more fun for us to cover and for us yeah. more to talk about i'm really um, sorry that we just put you through that conversation but um i don't i, I get the whole show me improve it but there's no reason to think negatively about this team, I feel like, until they've given you a reason to, because they did all the right things in the offseason, and I think everyone can agree on that, unless, I mean, there's people out there who are skeptical of Ben Bishop and whatever, and I get that, that's fine. But as far as what the Stars could have done in the offseason, they hit all the right keys, so it's just about putting that together now, and there's no reason to think that they won't do that until they show that they can't. Mm -hmm. Yep, well, with that... uh... We'll, uh, I'm sure we'll, ch- we'll chat again or uh, might record something as a training camp preview or do something right from training camp. We'll still, we still have to figure the exact specifics out on that. Um, but uh, prospects play uh, Monday and Tuesday. If you're listening to this on Sunday, they play Monday and Tuesday. The games will be streamed on the Fox Sports Go website. Um, from what I've been told, the stream has been somewhat reliable, so you can... Uh, uh, you can watch that if you're looking for a bit of a hockey fix before then. Um, until then, um, everyone have a good week.